So, like I said, we're not in a series, and uh, most of you know, uh, I just came off vacation. Uh, we took a little bit of time, and we had baptism service next week, so, or last week, and so really this is kind of my first time back giving a sermon, and uh, in the time of vacation, you know, you have time to compress. I was telling my wife, you know, especially since we started this church, uh, I can't even think of a time, like, where I didn't set my alarm, you know, and so we went away for like 12 days, and when we got back home, uh, I had to set my alarm, and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I haven't set my alarm in this many days, you know, and uh, it was just wonderful. That's a, that's a great thing. Uh, I think I had a, and this isn't to say anything about me because I need to read the book Simplify, but I, hadn't, I had been to 134 Sundays in a row. I haven't missed a Sunday since we started our church. So anyway, I said all that to say in this time frame, I had a lot of time to observe and sort of just, you know, like the book says, declutter, you know, take in and observe. I think when you have young kids, you do it more than when you were younger. And so I have a three and a half year old and a one and a half year old, or they're probably closer to older than that, but you just pay attention to more and, uh, and you hear different things. So you're always, you know, your eye is a little more fixed, if you will. So I'm always thinking and processing. And so in this time away, you know, I'm thinking, and, and so I also had this sermon sort of left empty. No series. I can say whatever I want. So today's sermon is really just me thinking out loud with you. Uh, I said in first service, I reverence the pulpit in the position. I have a lot of reverence for that, but that's not how I view this, me behind a pulpit, giving a speech and a sermon and a, you know, this is just a big living room with all my friends and family who I love, and we're just talking about God. Amen. And so today, you know, that's what we're going to do. We're just going to talk about stuff that I've been thinking about and, um, and, and stuff that's been on my heart. So a lot of you don't know, uh, many didn't know in the first service, but unfortunately, currently in Milwaukee, there's another riot. There was another uh, race-fueled shooting, and, uh, and so there's another tragedy taking place in uh, Milwaukee area. And what's unfortunate, aside from that in itself, is the idea that in this culture that we're in, it's not like back in the day where it's like, hey, do you remember that riot do you remember the riot or did you hear about the riot? Unfortunately, the, the, the situation we're in now, it's, hey, do you remember the riots? Because we're in another month where we've seen another uh, shooting and rioting and, and, and damaging and destruction and protesting. And so, and so we, we've built this pattern, whereas back in the day, it was like, could, could, did you hear? Now it's become a thing that just happens. Same thing with terrorism. You know, me growing up, uh, we had 9-11, you know, at my age, I was maybe 18 or so, I'm not sure. And it was, hey, 9-11, this act of terrorism. Now it's, hey, we need to talk about these acts of terrorism because they continually happen. So our culture isn't, hey, there's this thing. It's these things continually happen with ISIS and with terrorism and with all these different things. And so the problem that we see in culture now is the back in the day, if we went to a diner and we sat in a, in a diner, let's say, and you're reading through the newspaper and you're talking, you could probably get the room to somewhat agree on a moral compass or, or a direction of the way that God has pretty much designed us an absolute truth, right? Who's with me? Now, if you sit in a diner and you open up a conversation about right and wrong and absolute truth and moral compass, there is none. It spins now, right? There is no meter of direction. And so we live in this culture of what's right, what's wrong, who's right, what's wrong, what can I say, what can I not say? Uh, how can we be as a church 
who we're trying to point people to the laws and principles of God because we believe that Jesus came to give us life and give it to us better. And so there is a standard we want people to live to according to what God showed us. So how do we interact in that? How do we participate in that? And so there is no this absolute, I was talking with our children's director this week. She, was, she used to teach in school in North Carolina, so she's connected to uh, some of the schooling systems. And there's districts there that are talking about how they're going to put procedures in place that a child can come to school and each day decide if they want to be a boy or a girl that day. And in our school systems, if anybody understands psychological kid, you know, psychological psychology of kids and raising them just this idea of like now we can do this and this and there is no absolute we're going to raise a morally bankrupt culture you know right now in milwaukee uh they're one of the gas stations uh they've trapped the people inside there's people trapped inside the gas station and then people set the gas station on fire and so we saw it in dallas innocent people human lives don't matter anymore the moral compass has gotten so off that people will say, well, because of my argument, your life doesn't matter. I'll take your life. We saw it in Dallas. The compass is gone. So how do we engage it? What do we do? Yeah. We were camping and uh, we're just walking downtown Charlevoix and I'm with my dad and uh, he says uh, to Charlie, so we were raised in a Christian home and he says to Charlie, he says to me about my son, Charlie, he's like, well, cover his eyes. There's a girl up there that forgot her pants. And, um, and so, you know, like a good Christian, I was like, where? <laughs> Just kidding. I should check that out for my son. Kidding, obviously. But what he was speaking of is, unfortunately, and it's become the majority, because we go to the beach a lot. We like to be in public. And this is the part everybody likes their pastor to tell the truth until he starts talking about the truth. But you go out in public, and unfortunately, we see with our young girls, their bathing suit attire has become so corrupt, if you will, amen, that they could stand in front of a coffee shop in downtown Charlotte, literally with half of each of their cheeks hanging out, right? We, we see it everywhere. I was raised, well, you know, you, you, know, you kind of stay away from scandal this, you know, you don't run with that, whatever. Our young people aren't going to be able to choose it's going to be everywhere. So we have to learn how to participate in what we're around. Does that make sense? And again, I'm just talking out loud. So I have that, you know, it's, so you're just really walking and talking, you know, as you prioritize your family and, and all this stuff. We're called to a higher calling. So scripture says about Christians and we have a, a high standard. Now that's not a, that's not a uh, judge's bench. When we're called to a high calling, that doesn't mean you get a great gavel to go out and do scorecards and, and judge people and all that kind of stuff. My heart breaks for young girls that feel like to be able to keep up and fit in and get attention, they have to be at that level. Because the disheartening thing about it is if you're going to put yourself, young girls, listening however you may be listening, if you're going to put yourself out that easy and you may get the attention and you may get the boy, you may get the whatever, but as easy as they came, as easy as that you made it, that's as easy as they're going to leave you. Because they're not in love with you, they're in lust with you. Yeah. Amen? And so if you make it that easy and have that low of a standard, it's going to be that easy of a standard for them to walk out on you and walk out on your kids and walk out on your marriage. You have to set a high standard. Jess gets mad at me because she always says, oh, you're making it so hard on my daughter, Caroline, her husband, you know, because I give Caroline everything she wants. She's a spoiled brat. And, um, 
Don't let any of your kids hang out with her. She's the worst. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Kind of. Some days. Some days. <laughs> you all know I'm kidding. Except for I do spoil her. And, and so you're making it so hard on her husband. I say, good. That's good. You know why? Because she's not going to settle for an idiot. If we keep a high standard in her life, she's going to go after a high standard. The problem is too many of our parents, we're letting our kids out of the house and doing this and participating in that. Now, listen, I'm not about to preach a sermon about how we all need to be high and mighty. Scripture says we're in this world, but we're not of it. I realize we're in a world with indecency and different things. I'm not saying, well, you know, everybody go get your CDs. We're going to burn all our secular music. I'm going to listen. You guys know me. I go to Dave Matthews Band. Listen, this is a true story. Four days before we went camping, I went to a Dave Matthews concert. It's like my 36th Dave Matthews concert, which is a secular band, if you don't know. I'm just trying to tell you that I live in this world. I get it. And I promise you, swear, uh, I go there, and I had some fan club tickets to sell. And so I met the person that I was meeting, and I promise you, they tried to pay me in pot. You know, so (laughs) I promise you. And I already had mine, so I didn't need it. So (laughs) I was fine. But... uh, I get the real world. I live in the real world. I'm just kidding. I didn't have my own pot. Um, You need to know that. But I was going camping. It was four days before we went camping. That was going to be two weeks with my family and then my in-laws. So I strongly considered taking that offer. Uh, And I'm kidding and having fun. But I want you to know I'm not preaching a sermon right now about how we need to walk around with exes and tell everyone they're unholy. and I realize what it is to live in the real world. And, and I even hate to use the word be relevant. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying be relational, connect with people, love people. But there's also a high standard that we're called to. And so when we're engaging with culture, when everybody else has thrown out the moral meter, we don't just go, well, we got to just love everybody and da-da-da-da. We have to be a people that say, hey, what are the high call? And how people rise or fall to the level of their, our praise. We can talk people from here to here if we come alongside them, like we say, and love others toward God. Amen? And so we got to learn how to engage this. And the problem is our first reaction to the unknown is fear. You're never taught to be fearful. It's not like you have a little kid and you're, and you're raising them and, and you teach them how to be afraid of something. It happens. It's, a, it's, it's, it's something that the enemy, unfortunately, is a tactic he uses to hold us back in things. And so it's usually the unknown. You're little. What was that noise? What was that thing? I don't know. I'm afraid of this. And fear of the unknown in a business. Fear of the unknown. It just presents itself in different levels. I don't know our future. I don't know how I'm going to do this. And so fear of the unknown. Well, that's how the church has reacted to, reacted to many cultural things. I don't know. I'm fearful. I don't know how to react to this. Therefore, usually we react out of fear. And so we say the wrong things or we run the wrong direction and we leave people hurting. So we have to be in a place that says, okay, God, you want us to engage culture. You want us to love others towards God. How do we engage when the compass is gone? We used to be able to say, hey, you know what's right and wrong, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can work with you on that. Now we don't. And, and, and what does it look like for our kids? And so we don't hold back. And so the scripture, and, and I could give you a hundred topics to engage culture and how to navigate through it, but I'm only going to choose one today. And it is this idea of fear because fear has incredible power to it. Fear has a great way of derailing our lives if we let it be the driver. And the scripture says we got beat over the head, you know, back in church days. It was God has not given you a spirit of fear. And it was like, if you ever got afraid of something, you weren't a good Christian. How many ever felt that way, right? You know, you'd be like, I'm just really, you know, struck. And you say, well, you can't have fear. 
But that's not what the scripture actually says. It's okay if you have moments of being afraid or maybe being anxious about something, but it's how you react in that place that God cares about. Scripture says in Psalm 56, 3, David says, whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. It's okay if you have a moment of, of fear or, God, I don't know how this culture, I don't, I'm scared to raise my kids. I'm scared to send them to school. I'm scared to send them to, I don't know. But whenever I'm afraid, my response from that place is I'm going to trust you. Amen? So God wired us to be people who live above fear. Worry, check this out. Worry, we say this all the time. Worry is a down payment on a problem you may never have. Well, it could be this, it could be this, and we worry and we spend all this energy and anxiety, and it's like we put a down payment on something that may never come into existence. God wired you to live above fear. We've heard this 365 day or times in scripture. God either says, don't worry or have no fear or fear not. Why? Because every day he wants to remind you that fear doesn't have a place in you. God's created faith, us be faith people, and he wants you to rise above fear. He sees you capable of that. Uh, there's something in us. God wired us to be people who overcome fear. Uh, you see it with people who do things like skydiving, or there's great businessmen who uh, they see a deal, and, and, and most people would be afraid of it and taking the risk. But that guy, he, he, you know, he knows how to live past fear, and, and he makes the deal work. And you say, wow, what a brilliant guy. And he didn't let fear hold him back, and we do all this stuff. And, and we're wired to overcome fear. We have the superhero movies, and we love Michael Phelps, and all these people who overcome all these things. Why? Because it's exciting to overcome our fears and the things that hold us back. Uh, yesterday we were racing dirt bikes, riding dirt bikes out at our track and Doug, uh, and Tanya, their son, he's eight and he's basically like a nephew to us. Uh, my wife was there when he was born. And, and, uh, so just cause of the closeness of our family, he's like family. And so the adults would go out, you know, the, the dads would kind of go out and we'd ride for a little bit. Then the little kids would go out on their little stuff and they'd ride around and and uh, we kind of made like a little pit road area. So we kind of hang out while they ride. And so I said to him, I was like, all right, Owen, you know, get your helmet. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smoke you. You know, I'm on a dirt bike. He's on a four-wheeler. I'm, you know, we're going to race. I'm going to whoop you, you know. And so uh, he didn't hesitate then. You know, he got his helmet. He got his goggles. He was going to whoop me, you know. And, um, and so we would race. You know, we, uh, I'd come up alongside him real loud on my bike, you know, like I'm racing him loud. In the first couple laps, you know, there's a little fear in his eye, you know. He's, but he's going for it, you know. But we'd come into a turn, and, of course, I'd let him be ahead, and, and we'd go around. And the more we rode, the more he got excited. You know, he's, like, overcoming it, and he's beating me. And, and you could tell, like, I couldn't pass him in the turn. And so he's getting excited. So I pull off into pit road, and he keeps going one more lap. And then the next lap by uh, his buddies who were there that he rides with, he comes by and I'm sitting in there and he yells to his buddies, Hey guys, did you see that? I beat uncle Josh. <laughs> and, and I was like, well, next time I'm putting you in a tree boy. Uh, but, but it was awesome. You know, this fear, it's, it's even at a young age, you just get wired to overcome because why? Because God wants us to not live in fear. Literally he's placed in us faith, be faith people, faith filled people. And, uh, I hate it. Franklin Roosevelt says we have nothing to fear, but fear itself. And it's like saying we choose fear. Like, Hey, you have nothing to fear, but fear as, as if we're like walking around today, I'm going to choose to be fearful, just quickly get over it. But, but we need to, we need to see fear for what it is. It's the opposite of faith. Tear, fear is a typical response to the unknown, and uh, we have to push past it. Matthew 14, in my last couple minutes, I'm going to share one story with some great truths. Uh, you don't have to turn to it. I'll just kind of walk us through it. 
But Matthew 14, 25 shows us a great example of living in a place of fear and faith at the same time. Verse 25, it says, During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. So moments before this, chapters before this, Jesus is with his same disciples and they see miracles and they see greatness and their faith is built. And Jesus says to them, hey, uh, Jesus says, I read the book, Simplify. And so I'm going to go over there and pray and declutter my soul and spend some time and uh, got that book of the month. And, uh, and so he goes and does that and he tells them to go across. But they had a great moment of faith. Next thing you know, they're living in a great place of fear. And Jesus says back to them, but Jesus said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And again, what I love is Jesus didn't lash out and say, don't ever get afraid. He said, don't be afraid. Don't stay in a place of fear. There's going to be moments in our life where culture creeps up or something happens or we get a diagnosis and fear comes, but it's what we do with it that matters. He didn't say, don't ever get afraid. He said, don't be in a place of fear. And so Jesus tells them, change your mind, change your situation. Sometimes we have to convince ourselves into faith and out of fear. And the problem is most of us like faith, the idea of faith as a theory. We say, oh, faith, yeah, 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 faith, that's good. Having faith, that's a good thing. But faith takes faith. It's hard, right? We love faith just to be a theory or an idea. It's like, oh, yeah, I'll just have some faith. But actually living in faith is hard work. It's using your faith. Uh, faith is actually an action, not an idea. But most of us are like, well, faith, you know, just use faith. That's a, just a good idea. Just faith it. But faith is action and it's hard and it's being that person who gets out of the boat. And so we, it's, it's, it's complicated. And that's where most of us stay stuck in fear because faith is an action. And so Jesus responds to Peter or uh, Peter responds to Jesus and says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. So what I love about Peter here is he's afraid, but he sees Jesus and he says, all I need for me to get out of this place of fear is for God to speak to me, for Jesus to speak to me. Many of us get in a place of fear and we try to figure it out on our own. I got to work it and I got to do this and I'm in this place of fear and I got to do this. When really all you need to do is go to God and let him speak. Amen. Get out of fear by going to God and letting him speak. And then he downloads faith. Amen. Verse 29, he says, come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came to Jesus. So as soon as he says, come be with me. And so I love this. You will always get to do the extraordinary when you react in faith over fear. You will always get to do the extraordinary. You will always see the extraordinary breakthrough. You will always see what God has for you when you react in a place of faith over fear. Eleven other people missed the extraordinary because they stayed glued in their place of fear. God, I want to do the miraculous. God, I want to do something great for you. And then yet we stay in this place of fear. God calls us to something, calls us to something extraordinary. He says, hey, take a step out of the boat toward me. I've spoken to you. You can do it. And yet we stay stuck in that place. Peter was one of two people to walk on water because he let faith determine his reaction, not fear. He could have stayed fearful, but instead he reacted faith-filled. Amen? So that's our culture. That's how we engage culture. There's things we don't understand. There's things that, how's it ever going to work? How's it ever going to, we just start speaking and living in a way that it's like, God, I'm going to respond to this thing, not in a place of fear. What could it be? What could I, I don't know, but you know what? I'm going to be faith-filled and I'm going to take steps of action and I'm going to put myself into the community where I can be a light and I can make a difference full of faith. Amen. 
So then Peter sinks. We all know that part. And there's a great lesson to be learned. Verse 30, it says, when he saw the wind, he was afraid again and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Every time you add up your circumstances, took his eyes off Jesus and started adding up his surroundings and his circumstances and fear came back in. Many times in our lives, we get our eyes off God. We get our eyes off what he called us to do. We start forgetting about the word that he spoke to us and we start looking at our surroundings and then it allows fear to come rushing right back in. Amen. We got to be a people who speak over ourselves, faith and speak over our family, speak over our lives, speak over our culture. But the problem is we love to turn on Fox News and CNN and get on Facebook and post all these articles that most of them are made up anyway, not even real. And we start speaking faith or uh, fear, fear, fear. We start looking at all the surroundings, all the surroundings. Look at all this stuff that's happening. But then you come here on a Sunday and you sing, great are you, Lord. You can't be fear mongering, all, all, all this stuff, and then get up and say, oh, but you're a great Lord who's Lord. He's either Lord and great or he's not. Which one are we? Amen? Amen. So anyway, <laughs> verse 31. Oh, I'll say this before I move on to 31. So he begins checking his surroundings. And a lot of times we do that too. Hey, what do you think about, I know I'm out here walking in faith, but the wind is saying this and the storm is saying this and the 11 people in the boat are saying this. What do you, and we start listening to the wrong things yeah. instead of listening to the one thing that God told us to listen to. Amen. Yeah. So verse 31, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and said, you have little faith. He said, why did you doubt? Or you could say, why did you let uncertainty back in? Why did you let fear back in? Why did you do that? You were walking towards me. It was working. We were in faith. Why did you let that fear back in? And I wonder how many times God says that about our life too. Like, man, you were with me. We were doing it. We were going. And then you got fearful. What'd you get fearful about? You know, it's like teaching a little kid to ride a bike or whatever. You know, like, you were doing it. Keep doing it. You were doing it. And, uh, and they freak out about it. Or what, you know, and so that's what God's doing. Like, man, you were doing it. Good for you. And, uh, and that's what God is saying to us. Don't let that fear come back in. In verse 32, it says, and they climbed into the boat and the wind died down. I'll close with this. Winston Churchill said this, fear and faith are two forces very similar that have the ability and power to create something out of nothing bringing into being which does not exist. Faith and fear can do the same thing. I've heard a great saying that says, fear is the dark place where we develop all of our negatives. All those negatives that you think, all those negative ideas, and when you just let yourself fester in a place of fear, it develops and produces all of those negatives. Faith and fear have the same power. You can let all that fear and anxiety and stress run and consume you, or you can say, I'm gonna spend my energy in faith. I know my surroundings say this, this, and this, but if I stay connected to God, I don't have to worry. Yeah. I love this. Our world is attracted to great accomplishments. Miracle stories capture people's attention. We love Michael Phelps. We love the miracle stories. We love all that kinds of stuff. So when we say, man, all this stuff is going on in the world, how is the world ever going to come back to God? How is the world ever going to come back to well, the scripture promises that the church, the body of Christ, can walk in signs and wonders and miracles. If we can be the church, if we can be the community, all the churches who are so surrendered to God that the presence rests on each and every one of us everywhere that we go, they're going to come running back to the ways of God, in the compass of God, in the laws and principles of God. 
We just got to position ourselves, not reactionary in fear, not reactionary for with the gavel and the judgment. We got to be people who go, God, I'm, I'm full of faith and I'm pursuing you. God's going to send people to go with us. Amen. Psalm 34 talks about it. It says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Getting away from fear comes from intimacy with God. It says that I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered all my fears. You can't self-talk yourself out of fear. It's done by spending time. Scripture says that his perfect love, what? Cast out all fear. It's when we experience the love of God in our lives that fears are removed. Isaiah 41, 13 says, For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand. That's talking about nearness. Saying to you, fear not, I will help you. God wants to be near you and relieve you of all your fears. Hebrews 13, 6 says, So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? One translation says, what can this world do to me? When we're so surrendered to God and under the covering, the scripture says, when we're under the shadow of the Almighty, resting in his nesting, if you will, there's nothing that anybody can do. There's no Target bathroom. There's no any, all those things that people are making a huge deal. And that stuff's a big deal. But God is great, are you, Lord, who covers. Intimacy with God can replace all and take away all our fears. Amen. I started this sermon by saying I just wanted to talk about the things that I've been thinking about. And so I've been thinking about how do we live in this world without being fearful, without running? You know, because easily uh, the way that even Christians are, are kind of hated on right now, it would be easy to just take our Bible and run and just make sure that our little homes are blessed and our little, but that's not how God designed us to live. Scripture says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Amen. And so there's nothing that's happening that can tear down and destroy what God wants to do. Amen. So I just want you to leave here knowing just speak faith over your life, over your culture, over your situation. React in ways that you're faith filled, not fear filled. Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful uh, for your word that encourages us. Lord, like Peter, we want to be people that say, Lord, speak to us. Tell us what to do. Lord, give us our next steps. We want to be full of faith. We don't want our eyes on things that are going to cause us to sink and be full of fear again. God, we want to be people who react to what you say and what you do because we want to be a light to others. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.